Thanks, guys. Good morning, y'all. My name is Rick. I'm the lead pastor here, in case you don't know me. If you're visiting with us this morning, special welcome to you. I know we come to churches for a bazillion different reasons, right? We're, we're here for, some of us are here because we just, we love Jesus and, and we want to we wanna worship him and, and uh, maybe a friend invited us. Some of us are here just because, uh, I don't know, some, someone invited us, but we don't really believe any of this. And some of us are here, we're not even sure why, right? Like we just found our way here. Maybe we Googled it, Right? I heard this week uh, from, from Dom, if you're, if you're a college student here, I'd love for you to meet Dom. Um, he's a great dude and wants to care for you. Uh, but he, he was telling me that of the students he's met with, the vast, overwhelming majority of them end up here just because they, they uh, Googled church near me. Uh, maybe you're here this morning because you Googled church near me. And uh, yeah, maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you are. UPC is not a perfect church. We're not. Um, just trying to give honor to our king and be faithful to what he's called us to be. And we're going to mess up at that. Uh, sometimes we're going to do it well. Sometimes we're going to do it poorly. Uh, so if you're visiting here with us, we would love for you to come and be a part of that with us, to mess it up and seek forgiveness with us at the same time. Uh, for whatever reason you're here this morning, welcome. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Ephesians. That's in the New Testament. We're in our, our third week now as we're looking at leadership in the church. And so this week we turn specifically to what it is that these people that we call leaders in, in a church that we're reimagining or a church that we're trying to kind of enrapture our imaginations again with what this is supposed to be like. What do you do as a leader? In the church. And that's what Paul, the writer of this letter, is going to talk to us about here in Ephesians. So we're in chapter four this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, that's our, our habit here. Jumping right into the middle of a section, but we're going to be reading verses 11 um, down through 16. This is God's word. And he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word given for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, no matter why we're here this morning, we ask that you'd speak to us. We're not here by accident. We're here because you called us. We're here because you moved in us whether we're aware of that or not. It is no accident that we're here. And so uh, we ask that you would open our hearts so that we might receive what you have for us. Jesus, if you are not the one speaking, we are all wasting our time. So we ask that you would speak to us. 
that by your spirit you would move, that you would create faith in us. You would move us towards repentance. And you would make yourself large in our eyes this morning. Do this for your glory's sake. Do it for our good because we need it. It's what we were made for. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. So like I said, this is our last, uh, well, I didn't say it was our last. It is our last week talking about leadership in the church. What are leaders supposed to look like? What are they supposed to be like? Well, we talked about that two weeks ago, right? That leaders are, in, in, at least in Jesus' church, leaders are first and foremost defined by character. It's a kind of person, right? It's a kind of person. There's, there's skills involved, certainly, but first and foremost, it's an issue of character. How, how are leaders supposed to act? Well, we looked at that last week. We looked at that song that, that uh, the Apostle Paul quoted, um, and he was talking about, uh, in, in, in Philippians 2, how... He was talking to all the church, but especially how leaders are called to have an attitude that willingly lays down their pride, their preferences, their prerogatives, all for the sake of the flourishing of others. It's not about them, right? But now brass tacks. What is a leader in the church supposed to do? And for doing that, we come to this this letter to this young church in Ephesus. Here's what we're going to see this morning. Leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, are called to be consistently working for them to be less and less necessary. Okay? There's an outline in your bulletin if you're a note taker, but we're going to jump right in. And as I said before I read, we're jumping not not just in the middle of a letter, we're jumping in the middle of a thought, so let me backfill a little bit. Okay? This letter is written written by uh, an early Christian leader by the name of Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. If you've been in this church, you've probably heard of him a bunch. If you've been in a PCA church, he might be the only early Christian leader you've heard of because we love Paul. Anyway, uh, but Paul went from, maybe, maybe you haven't heard of him, so let me tell you a little bit of his story. He went from being a violent racist persecutor of Christians to being a, an inclusive, zealous promoter of Christianity uh, after an encounter with the risen Jesus. There's very few more dramatic changes than we see in that dude. And he's right there in the Bible. Several years after that encounter, he's commissioned along with a buddy to kind of go around the Mediterranean world, okay, the, the world of, of kind of where the majority of the Bible takes place. He's, he's, he's going around into all the Mediterranean world to start new churches that consist of new followers of Jesus, and this letter is written to one of those churches that he begins, a church that is on the western coast of what is now Turkey. And, and in this passage right here, is, is, it's a part of a section in which he's talking about the unity that we have together as Christians in the community of faith that we call the church, right? The unity that the church has. And part of that unity is interdependence, right? Interdependence, where we're depending upon one another. And, and that is because God gifts gives gifts to his people that are meant to be used for one another. They're, we call them um, spiritual gifts, right? And they're called spiritual gifts because they are given and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they're given to Christians when they become Christians. And so as he's talking about God setting up his community, he lays out these particular roles. Look down at verse 11 if you have your Bible open, okay? He says this. He says, again, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, okay? Now, Here's something that's kind of great. Uh, whether or not you know this, uh, we live in a seminary town. A seminary is a, is a word for the graduate school that people go to before they become pastors. 
Uh, and because I was part of uh, a seminary, I know that a lot of young people who are training for ministry believe themselves um, to be God's gift to the church. Um, and this passage, well, it kind of says that, but not in the way that most of us when we're training for ministry believe it to be, right? We are God's gift to the church. And so look at that. Look, look at these roles. So first we mention, he says that God gives to the church apostles and prophets. Now, um, apostles and prophets, those are two roles. That apostle is, is uh, speaking specifically of a group of people in, in, set apart by Jesus and sent into the world to be his representatives. Uh, prophets, it was a shorthand way for most of the people during the New Testament to talk about those that wrote the Old Testament. And Paul, already in this letter, in, in chapter 2, verse 20, has talked about apostles and prophets. And when he talked about them together, he was talking about them as what he called the foundation of the church. So here's what that means for us. When he mentions apostles and prophets, he's speaking specifically of what we would now consider the Bible. Prophets is the Old Testament part of that. Apostles is the New Testament uh, revelation of that. And in this case, he's talking about, he gave these roles, apostles and prophets, to the church. And their kind of, the, the role that they filled was to give us this. To give us what became for Paul the foundation of the faith. And so, he, but he keeps going. He's, that's not it. He gives us evangelists. So when he says evangelists, these are, in, in Paul's context, what we would call now, especially in our circles, a, a church planters. Okay? Evangelists are, are those who, you know, in the, in the original language in which this was written, which it was written in Greek, not in the King James, uh, believe it or not. But um, it, in the original language, this literally means gospelers, like those who bring the gospel into new areas and raise up new churches. Like, this isn't like random gospel sharing. This is the goal of an evangelist in the New Testament was not a convert, it was a church. Right? It wasn't an individual saved person, it was a saved people. It was a church. So he's talking about the apostles and prophets given to the church, uh, and he's given, they, he's, he's given them evangelists, he's given them the, the, those that are beginning these new communities of faith. And the next two that he gives are pastors and teachers. Now, if you're familiar at all with this passage, some of you I know are, you, you probably know there's a little bit of a debate here when it comes to these two. Are they talking about one role or two? Okay, I think it's one. We don't need to go into the detail of it, but um, I think it's one, but the point's the same either way. Okay, so pastors, what does that mean? Well, the word literally means shepherd. Okay, it means shepherd. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Bible often refers or, or compares God's people to sheep, which sounds really cute, unless you've ever been around sheep. <laughs> like, I, you know, most of you know that I, I just got here a little over, or a little under a year ago and came from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, in which agriculture is a thing. There's lots of farms. I've been around sheep. They are dumb. Like, really dumb. Like, eat until their stomachs explode, dumb. Like, there's, they fall on their back and they can't roll themselves back over. For God to call his people his sheep, I don't think that's meant as a cute metaphor, but you can keep believing that if you want, okay? All right, so, but shepherds, that's, that's you know, Paul talked to the elders in this very city. In, in another book in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20, he talks to the elders of this church and he talks to them about shepherding the flock under their care the concept of a shepherd has a care component to it okay god gives to the church these 
this role, this, this pastor role to, to care for, uh, for those that God has given him. That word pastor is synonymous in the New Testament with another word that we use for leader called elder. Now, I know in most churches that we only consider the dudes who are employed by the church to be pastors. I get that. It's very understandable. It's just not very biblical. Okay? If you are an elder in the church or you aspire to be one, you are or you will be a pastor. Some of us have a specific emphasis in our role. Right? I clearly do. But a pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor because that's what the Bible says. Okay? <laughs> so, they're pastors but they're also teachers. And this is the aspect of the ministry in which you're taking what the apostles and prophets said through the lens of what the evangelists have given you, which is the gospel and instructing the church. In other words, uh, uh, for, for the way that I th think this is coming across, and for many of you probably too, pastors, teachers are a group of people who are caring for God's people, caring for the flock, and they are teaching them the truths of the Bible as, as they are kind of understood in the in it, the, the kind of the highlight of that in Jesus Christ, right? So here's the thing. Paul is saying that all of these are what God has given to the church. So again, if you are someone who is aspiring to go into Christian ministry at some point, maybe you're, in, maybe you're a seminary student now or, or you're, you're thinking about it, maybe you're thinking about a career change. Let me make something clear for you. Paul says here that if this is where God is leading you, that God gave you to the church. He did not give the church to you. Leaders of all kinds, but especially those in an ordained capacity, are given for the church, not vice versa. In other words, the church does not exist to fulfill your career goals. It does not exist to, to fulfill your personal aspirations, your existential needs, or your vision for this or any other community. You, if you are a pastor teacher, are given to and for the church, for her, not for you. Okay? Now, let me, uh, again, this passage is talking about official, even ordained leaders in the church, so in one sense we need to understand that this is explicitly talking about the roles that he, that Paul is talking about with those leaders, but at the same time, Right? Just as last week we talked about the fact that Paul was calling all of the church to this attitude of being like Jesus who laid down all of these things for the sake of others, we, we, we can kind of take up that mindset and model of our king in the same way that that trickled down. Well, I would say that this here is trickling down to everyone as well. Okay? So if this is true of official leaders, then we are given a model for what any kind of leadership in the church is supposed to be like. Now, here's where we get to that. Let's look at the how. Look at verse 12. Why did God give these roles? It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So why did he give these roles? Why did he give the, give the church these people? Well, I can tell you what we normally think. We normally think that God gave the church all of these things so we can soak it up, right? We can sit and like be fed. Like that's what I'm here for. And this is especially true when we're talking about vocational pastors, right? I mean, what do we pay them for anyway? I'm just wondering. It's an honest question. Why, why? No, I'm just kidding. Don't, please don't answer that. Um, so Paul mentions one job with two results, okay? Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a second, so just if, if you're not 
into this just kind of, well, don't check out, because this is actually really important. Grammatically, in the original, what, the, what scholars will call the purpose clause is this. What's the purpose of giving them these things? To equip the saints. That's the purpose. Okay? Who are the saints? Well, they're not super Christians. Okay? Saints, in, in the Bible, are just Christians. Okay? They're just Christians. In other words, that would be you. Saints are you. You are the saints. All right? Um, saints are those who are set apart. That is those who are in Christ. So let me be clear on something. Paul calls, uh, there's there's, uh, two letters, well, yeah, there's two letters in our New Testament that Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth, okay? 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that's what we call them. And he begins both of those letters to the saints in Corinth. Now, if you've read those letters, what you know about the church in Corinth was that was more jacked up than any church you have ever been a part of. And that if you were to be a part of that church, if you were to walk into that church and saw the stuff that was going on, you would leave immediately and go, God's calling me somewhere else. That was not a great place. Being a saint has to do with your position, not your maturity or your morality. It's about what Jesus did. It's about his work, not yours, okay? So to equip the saints means to work in the lives of Christians. So God gave church leaders to the church to equip the members of the congregation, but for what? Okay, so we have the purpose clause, that's to equip the saints, and then it's followed by two kind of results, okay, continuing off of that. Two result clauses. I know, it's boring, but this actually does matter, okay? Uh, So the first of those is the work of ministry or the work of service. In other words, the leaders of the church are called to equip the church, the saints of the church, to do ministry. Um, over the last few years, I've gotten into coaching. I think it happens at a certain point. You've been doing this long enough, and uh, so you start working with guys that haven't been doing it as long, and I started working with church planners and some other pastors and coaching them, and one of them was voicing some of his frustrations to me about something, um, as often happens, and I told him, I told him, you know, it's funny. You still think you got into ministry to do ministry. I think we're in ministry to equip other people to do ministry. Right? So the, to equip people for the work of the ministry means to make sure that they have everything they need to go and do to minister, to serve both one another and those outside the church. That's one of the roles, to equip them for the work of ministry. Second, for the building up of the church. Now that word upbuilding is a particular word that Paul uses, and he uses it up over and over and over again to speak about the church's development. Speak about it growing, maturing, and, and, and he talks about this all the time. So, so listen to me. The upbuilding of the church, the maturing of the church, the development of the church, the growth of the, the fruitfulness of the church is the work of the saints. That's who that's for. The job of leaders is to equip the saints to build up the church. Now, I know that's crazy, right? I know that's crazy because we live in a very professional culture. We live in a culture where we love the experts. And apparently, the more letters you get after your names, more and more you're considered to be an expert. But for whatever reason, and we're going to see here in a minute, God seems to think that the better mode is for these things to be done by the rest of us, right? 
Why, why then? Why equip the saints? Why not let the experts handle it? Well, that's what Paul engages in in verses 13 to 14 as he talks about the why and the where. Okay? He says this. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's start there. Let me say this up front. You and I, because of our culture, we read the Bible individually, which is to say we read it as speaking to individuals. Okay? And it does, right? The, the Bible does speak to individuals. But these letters are addressed to communities, to groups of people. Okay, to churches. So when he speaks of no longer being children or of reaching maturity, individuals are involved, but he's speaking to a community. Here's why that matters. There will always be immature members of a church. You can't reach new people for Jesus without there being people who are newly reached for Jesus. And maturity takes time. In fact, I would be willing to argue, if you can kind of read that and go, yes, the goal for the church is to have this group of people who are just uber mature and they're all like that, I would say it's impossible because you cannot be a mature believer who's not helping other people become believers and growing in their faith. You can't have maturity without mission. It doesn't happen, at least not scripturally. So, why the equipping of the saints? Paul says it's for unity, for knowledge of the Son of God, for maturity. But there's a reason even for that. Look down at verse, verse 14, lays out this basic concept in verse 14. He, he, I'm not going to read it again. He basically talks about the concept of not being easy to deceive, right? Here's why. Today, as much as in the early church, it, 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 people teaching something that is not the gospel or not in line with the gospel, like didn't quite measure up, might be a little out of joint, was constant just like it is today, right? You and I both know that there are plenty of, plenty of people uh, who claim to be pastor, somehow they get a camera in front of their face and they get a following and what you're listening to, you go, I don't know, that doesn't quite line up. I, it sounds good, it sounds nice, it just doesn't sound true. I, I'm not really sure, right? And so the purpose of leaders is to equip the saints, the church, so that that kind of thing gets sniffed out. Now, some of you might be thinking, Rick, if, if the leaders are there, especially pastor teachers, how would this happen? Well, two ways. One, and quite frankly, if you've been a part of UPC for a little bit, you are very aware of this. Those leaders won't always be there, right? I mean, what if the next guy comes in and he's charismatic, an impressive speaker, knows the Bible, but just kind of twists it a little, just a little, not much, just, just a little. It's just a great story. In the, in the second century, I know there were good stories that came out of that time period. In the second century, there was this, uh, there was this pastor's kid, uh, his name was Martian right? Not Martian like the planet, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, Martian. Uh, so Martian um, was a pastor. He had gotten some trouble with pops because he, he started teaching some things in, in, in his, his dad's church that, um, 
got him in trouble, namely things like the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, not the same God, uh, that creation was bad, that, that Jesus kind of just came to give us some knowledge. Uh, what, he, what he taught grew into something that in the early church was eventually called Gnosticism, right? So anyway, Marcion, he gets in trouble with Pop, so he leaves Turkey, and he goes to Rome. And when he gets to Rome, he, um, he knows he knows how best to make an impact in a church. He writes a check. Well, he didn't write a check. They didn't have checks. But he gave a donation of what today would be about a half million dollars, right, to the Roman church. This is in the second century. So they're not powerful. This is like a, this is home churches, right? So it's like, whoo, rolling the dough. And, and uh, so he gets, he, he gives this donation. He begins to kind of take up a respected position. And the church in Rome, though, over time kind of sniffed out what this guy was teaching. That he used the name of Jesus and even some books of the New Testament, not all of them, but some of them. But what he was teaching was not Christianity. So you know what they did? It's great. They gave him his money back and sent him packing. I think it's awesome. They had to be equipped to be able to tell something wasn't right. Right? So first is because leaders in churches change. I had a friend who spoke at my um, ordination service way back in the dark ages, and one of the things that he said was, um, it was a very cheery statement, but it was true. He said, God buries his workers and goes on with his work. So one, leaders change. Two, and maybe this is the more important part, because sometimes, sometimes, it's those leaders themselves who go off the rails. Leaders, whether we're talking about a group leader, a lead pastor, whatever, Leaders are people, broken human people. Paul tells, in that, I told you a second ago that Paul in, in the book of Acts is speaking to the leaders of this church in Acts chapter 20. And in that, after telling them to care for the flock of God, one of the things he tells them is that some wolves are going to come amongst the flock from your own number. He's like, even some of you are going to, and he's loving these guys. He's like, even some of you are going to go off the rails. Right? So ultimately, the church, the saints are equipped by leaders so that the church is not overly dependent on the leaders. You with me? All right. So where is this all heading? Look down at verses 15 and 16. He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is, equ- it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Kids, don't write a sentence like that in your papers. It's not good English. Okay, all right, but anyway, harder to read. But good stuff. Anyway, so the goal, the goal, where is this all heading? The goal that Paul is talking about is a church, a body, a community that is working as it is meant to. And what that means is, is that it is growing itself. Okay? He's talking about a group that is maturing, that is becoming more and more like Jesus, that is speaking the truth in love to one another, not just asking certain people to have the hard conversations with people, but asking, like, I'm doing it with you, you're doing it with one another. Like, we're having those conversations, and where every part is contributing to the maturity, to the development, and to the growth of the whole, right? 
Think of it like a healthy family. As kids grow older, and I know some of you with really young kids, you don't believe this, but it's coming, I promise you. As kids grow older, they become less and less dependent on their parents, right? That doesn't mean that mom and dad don't matter, right? It it just means something different, right? My kids are now all teenagers. They don't need me to get them dressed in the morning anymore. The day does come, I promise you. It does come. They don't need me to tell them how to clean their rooms. Well, maybe they do. Uh, That's debatable, I guess. But there are other things. There are other things now that I'm equipping them for, right? It's not, it doesn't make sense to talk to your five-year-old about investment strategies, but maybe with your 26-year-old it does, right? Like there's differences of what they're equipped for. And so if the leaders of the church are doing what they are supposed to, this is what the result is meant to be, a church that's ministering to the church, a church that's ministering to the community as the church, not a bunch of folks coming in so that you have one or maybe a handful of people who are doing, who are having the, the gospel conversations, having the discipleship work, doing the, having the hard conversations, the challenging ones, the confrontations, all these things. No, 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 it's, it's the church ministering to, its, to each other, okay? Now, let's get honest, shall we? Look at the point in the plan. This vision, this model, this is not what most of us think about when we think about coming to church. It's not. And when I say most of us, I don't just mean you all. I mean most of us up here too. This is not what we think about when we think about coming to church. We make lip service to it. Oh yeah, every member a minister. Like I'm all about it. But then we struggle with it. We struggle with it, both leaders and those that aren't yet. So when it comes to leaders, let me be honest, pastors, elders, deacons, group leaders, we know that we're not enough. Now, let me me speak more personally. I'll let you all dissolve it, let that trickle down. I'll speak for me. I know that I'm not enough. I know that my words can't change you that I don't have enough wisdom to answer all your questions, that I'm going to fail you, and that it's possible that that failure will impact you strongly enough that it turns you off to church or even to Jesus. I know all of that, and in my dark moments, if I'm being honest with you, it terrifies me. It terrifies all of us who do this. I know that you will leave here and you will forget between 90 and 150% of what I say. I know that I can't make anyone change, that I'm going to let you down. I know that there are times when I want to come through for you and I can't, and I know there are times when you will want me to come through for you and I shouldn't. And here's what I know about you, even if I don't know you. I know that everyone wants a pope. And I, I, listen, I'm not saying we all want to be Roman Catholic. We're Presbyterian, after all. What I mean is that everyone wants someone that they can point to, look at, listen to, maybe even go and shake the hand of, who even if their lives are a wreck, that they can see them and say, but I'm with him and he seems to have it figured out. We want a hero. 
We want a Superman. And it is the easiest thing in the world to find a leader who can assure us that he has the answers, the method, the mojo, that he can be our hero. We're tempted in that way, and we're tempted in that way. Right? But that is not the truth. Friends, the truth that the Bible teaches us is that there is only one hero. There is only one. There is only one man who is enough, who will never fail you, who has loved you completely even when you have betrayed him utterly. And that is Jesus. The Bible and the church are filled with story after story of broken people who are just trying their best to trust in Jesus and keep walking with him. They are, it's filled with broken people who on our best day, our best day, simply point to him. He is the one who our faith is in. He is the one who rescued us when we were lost and marching to judgment. I am a dude. I've got issues. Right? Like I talk good and do stuff. Like that's about it. But I cannot, nor can any other leader, carry the weight of your hopes or the weight of your flourishing. There is only one pair of shoulders that are strong enough to do that. And those are the shoulders that carried that cross up to the hill of Golgotha. There's only one. And that leads us to how this is supposed to play out in the church, right? And this is, this is huge. Because Paul, he, he comes back to this body metaphor again, right? He uses this a lot. We talked about it a few weeks ago. So think with me for a second. A healthy body, it matures consistently, right? Like, it, it, it matures at the same rate. If it doesn't, there's one part of, of your body that's growing at a rate disproportionate to the rest. We go, that's a problem, right? Leaders are part of the body. The head of the body is Jesus, not me, not the elders. The head of the body is Jesus. The rest of us are a part of the body, filling a role in the body, right? Pastors are a part of that. Elders who are pastors are a part of that. Deacons are a part of that. Group ministry leaders, team, ministry team leaders, youth leaders, kids ministry, all of this, part of the body. And the role of leaders in the church no matter who we are, the role that we have in the midst of all of this is to equip the members of the church to do the work of the church. And I, I know that most of us in this room, as soon as I say that, you're like, I'm not qualified for any of that. Join the club. Like, none of us are. If what you mean by qualified is someone who can, who can change the lives of other people, you're not, and neither am I. None of us are. That's not the job. That's not the role. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do Holy Spirit work. We can do the work that we're called to. So what is it that qualifies you for simply being present in someone's life with the gospel? For consistently pointing our kids here to Jesus. Just pointing them to Jesus. What, can, what qualifies you for praying for or being curious about and caring for people in a life group? See, the funny thing is, we're, we're scared to step into those roles because we're like, we don't measure up. You don't measure up. You don't have to. 
Jesus does the work. So what if we, though, could imagine a church where leaders, where leaders had good character? Not perfect. Nobody's that. But, but good. Good character. Where they took responsibility for those under their care, laid down their pride, their preferences, their prerogatives, all those things, so that they, others could flourish. And who worked to equip others in God's word and gospel fluency and even just some technical skills to do the work of ministry in the upbuilding of church. What if we could imagine a place where every leader saw themselves, saw the goal of what they're doing is to work themselves out of a job? You know what would happen? I can tell you what would happen. I've seen it. <laughs> you would have a place where your leaders could be uh, loved, not worshipped, or not viewed with suspicion. You'd have a place where more people felt ownership of their church because they're doing the work that was ministering to others. You'd have a place that would grow and multiply because new leaders were being raised up all the time. In other words, you'd have a healthy body, all for the glory of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the little things. Thank you for the truth. I love the fact. I love the fact right now that we're, we're up here talking about the role of leaders and how things are, are supposed to work and that things aren't working right. I think it's great. Thank you, Jesus, for another opportunity for all of us, myself being first and foremost, to, to just remember that it's, this is all about you. <laughs> and you are worthy of our praise. You rescued us from our sins when we were hell-bent. And you threw us into a body with other people who need us and whom we need. And I pray, Lord, that you would form UPC into a place where that is the norm in which we think that we are in a place where We are here to do the work of the church, the ministry of the church, and the upbuilding of the church, that we are a part of that. We get to be a part of that for your glory's sake. Because what other community, what other community can look like that where people are willing to just give everything to see to the flourishing of people who are not called them? If you do it, Lord, make yourself famous in this place. And in, our, and in this part of our town, because people will see it, and they'll have no one else to thank and to glorify but you. So we ask that you do it. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>